This is the Local Action for Our Environment podcast series, brought to you by the Local Government Association. Hello and welcome to this new Local Government Association podcast to support councils on reaching their climate change reduction goals. I'm Councillor Liz Green, I'm the Vice Chair of the LGA's Improvement and Innovation Board with Lead Responsibility for Climate Change. The LGA Climate Change Sector Support Programme, which is funded by the government, helps councils to reach their local carbon reduction targets by adapting and mitigating the effects of climate change. This training series forms part of their support offer. As you may be aware, many councils across the UK have declared a climate emergency, and I'll be chairing this podcast series as we explore how councils can effectively engage with their communities on the climate emergency. In this second episode, we'll be discussing public engagement strategies and how we can use these in achieving net zero. Before we kick off, I have two questions for you to think about while you're listening. Whilst Camden were the first local authority in the UK to hold a citizens' assembly on the climate crisis, which was the first city council to do this? And also, where do you think public engagement on climate change currently falls short and how can this be made more effective? See if you can find the answers and I'll check in with you again at the end. I'm delighted to be joined today by Chadrima Padmanabhan, who is the programme lead for climate at the Centre for Public Impact Europe, and Councillor Adam Harrison, who is the cabinet member for a sustainable Camden at Camden Council. Chandrima, we're going to start with you. Could you tell me a little bit about yourself and the work that you do at the Centre for Public Impact? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me here today. The Centre for Public Impact is a global not-for-profit and we work closely with governments, with public servants and other organisations to reimagine and redesign public um, services and public management practice so that it works better for everyone. Um, I I lead the work that we do on public engagement on climate change at CPI Europe and our aim through that program of work is to put communities at the heart of shaping a place-based transition to net zero by 2050. And we do this in two ways. One is by experimenting with new and meaningful ways of involving communities in building a net zero future. And the second is by being a learning partner to governments and practitioners and helping support them in meaningfully engaging people in climate decision-making and climate action. Thank you. So if you're a local council, what are the different types of public engagement approaches that councils can deploy these days? Um, I I would say there are broadly three approaches to public engagement around climate change that we have identified through our work. So the first is public engagement that is centred around communication. The second is focused on collaboration and the third is around intervention. And I'll I'll take you through through each of them. Um, And I'll start with public engagement centered around communication. So with this type of public engagement, the intention is to drive awareness on climate change and also more importantly, to build a public mandate for action. And the most effective ways that we've seen communication to the public done involves not just information provision, but also the development and the bringing together of community-centered and place-based narratives around climate change that really resonate and speak to people and communities. 
Um, the, the second approach, which is focused on collaboration, and um, there are two subtypes within this. The first is engagement that is focused on uh, bringing people together to deliberate on climate issues and policy. And the outcomes of those deliberative sessions are then fed back into formal decision making and resource allocation processes. So more traditionally, um, this has taken the form of many publics, so citizen juries, citizen assemblies, participatory budgeting. And citizen assemblies in particular uh, have recently been set up and run by a number of local councils across the UK that have declared climate emergencies. We've, we've also had a national level climate assembly UK process that was very successfully run. So, so this approach to public engagement, that is the formal institutionally led engagement process, which brings people together so that they can deliberate and feedback into formal decision making, is a relatively more familiar one here in the UK and also in Europe. So the, the questions that remain to be answered here is how that type of engagement can be a longer term iterative process with continual citizen feedback loops across the decision making to delivery lifecycle. Um, the second subtype under public engagement that is focused on collaboration is people led as opposed to institution led like the previous subtype. So it's when people themselves come together to take collective action and that action could be uh, the co-governance of natural resources, or it could be the delivery of public services by community groups themselves. Um, we, we actually recently brought out a very in-depth uh, case study report that covers different examples of community-led public engagement processes. Um, but, but to give you some examples, you have community energy programs where people own and operate their own local renewable energy generation or energy demand reduction projects. You have um, community governance of forests or marine ecosystems, particularly when local livelihoods are dependent on those resources. And all of these examples require a very grassroots, community-led public engagement approach that grows out of community needs and community aspirations. And my only pointer here for local councils is to really identify how they can enable support and even draw on these public engagement efforts when delivering their own. And um, finally, the third approach is centered around intervention. And this is public engagement that is structured to incentivize the uptake of climate interventions after they have been identified. So an intervention could be home energy retrofits, it could be walking and cycling infrastructure, and the uptake of those interventions could be dependent on um, incentives and disincentives that drive, dis, uh, drive individual choice, or in other cases, and with different community groups, the uptake of interventions isn't just about choice because their ability to freely choose could be held back by social barriers like lack of access to resources or lack of uh, capacity or just different priorities. And so in keeping with that, there are very specific public engagement processes that accompany the implementation or the delivery of those interventions. And this could be focused around um, running demos or raising awareness on one end, or on the other end, it could be about um, offering training or capacity building. Or it could even be about finding alternate interventions that really meet people where they are. So, so to summarize on public engagement approaches that councils can take, I would say one, those that are focused on communication and finding place-based narratives that resonate with people. 
two approaches that are focused um, on collaboration, so either led by institutions and that feedback into formal decision making or led by people themselves that councils can support and draw on. And third, engagement that is focused around climate interventions that speak to individual choice and also to social barriers around choice. Thanks, um, Chandrima. Um, I think it's very interesting what you're saying there about the three approaches because they're quite clearly interlinked. Um, so any one of those approaches by itself is not going to change public opinion. So I wonder if you could explain how you can link those together for the maximum effect because we know that um, it's not easy changing behavior um, for the good. Uh, so how would you interlink, the, interlink those? So um, this, um, this, this is such an important question. So, so thank you for bringing it up. The, the challenge more often than not is the fact that they do not interact with one another. Although that very interrelatedness that you bring up is what we should be aiming for. So there tend to be many isolated efforts at good public engagement practice that is focused on one or the other approach. And it's seen as a one point in time sort of a process. And that is where it falls short. So public engagement around climate change needs to be looked at holistically, which involves effective communication, effective collaboration and effective engagement around interventions. And all of that needs to happen in an interlinked, iterative and sustained way um, that really puts people and their needs and priorities at the heart of um, climate related decision making or climate related action. And and if we're working to achieve net zero in the UK by 2050, there is also a need for a lot more uh, coordination and collaboration on public engagement, not just within a local authority, but also between them, between local and national government and between other um, actors in the ecosystem. So um, to your question, the interrelatedness and interactions between different approaches and between different actors is precisely the question that needs to be asked and that needs to be considered when we think about effective public engagement strategy. So it's as easy as that then. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I, there are obviously different elements that different places are doing well uh, and some that are doing less well. So I, I just wanted to ask what we know about those that are doing this well, that particularly concentrate around this interlinkedness, if that's a word, uh, but the linking between the different types of approaches that you, you've outlined there. Great question. And I'll um, to start, I'll just structure my response in the same way that I did earlier. So talking about each of the different types from communication, collaboration and intervention and talking through what we've learned about how each of them can be done well with the caveat that it needs to be looked at in an integrated sort of manner. Um, and I'll start with communication and offer um, two, two key reflections on what we know about doing this well. Uh, one is that effective communication on climate change involves recognizing that um, people hold um, ideological, cultural, political beliefs and values. They have social, gender, ethnic identities, and all of that defines 
how they respond to messaging. So it's really important to draw on community and place-based knowledge, language, and narratives when you're engaging the public, if those messages are to really resonate with them. Um, secondly, there is a need for much greater diversity with uh, respect to gender, class and race in the messengers that facilitate the conversations on climate change. So it's very important for people to identify with or see themselves reflected in the messengers. And so it's important for councils to think about how they can reach beyond the usual set of actors if they want messaging to resonate with different groups. Um, and that's on communication. On, on public engagement that is focused on collaboration, um, a couple of points there as well. Firstly, um, on the institutionally led collaboration front, so as the type where you're where, where talking about citizen assemblies and the like, here it's really important to understand what it means to create legitimate spaces for deliberation. And by legitimate, I mean, that the process, the timelines, the outcomes are transparent, inclusive, accountable, and there's a clear link between citizen recommendations and formal decision-making or resource allocation processes. Um, second, on the community-led collaboration front, it's, it's really important for councils to engage with communities to identify what the opportunities and the barriers are that exist to successful community-led initiatives and identify how they can be supported, amplified and grown. And thirdly, I guess, and, and probably most importantly, it's, it's very necessary to foreground inclusion in, in uh, public engagement exercises that center collaboration. So the key questions to keep in mind are, one, where is the engagement taking place? Two, who is taking part in them? Who is not and why? Three, who is being best served by the outcomes of this process? So if, if you're putting together a citizen assembly, very important to question whether the recommendations that are coming out of the assembly process serve one group of people over the other, because you could have diversity in terms of representation, but unless you focused on the internal quality of deliberations, it could still be the loudest group in the room that is being heard. Um, and so who is being best served by the outcomes of this process is an extremely important question to keep asking, which leads to the question, how do we make this process more equitable? Um, and and that's, those, those are the key points that have come up for us on public engagement that is centered on collaboration. And, and finally, to just talk through the ones that have come up on interventions um, and on how that can be done well. One is uh, for councils, to see public engagement that happens alongside delivery and enforcement of climate interventions as critical. And um, it is an important way to sense check that the interventions that are being planned or being delivered are working for communities. And if they aren't, it's a way to understand why they aren't and build more iterative citizen feedback focused ways of thinking about rolling out interventions. And secondly, um, is thinking about the when of public engagement and how that is as important as thinking about the how. So engaging the public at critical life moments when they have the capacity or the inclination for change. So when they're moving homes, when they're retiring, when they have a child uh, can be very effective when considering engagement around climate interventions. 
Um, and yeah, I, I just I just like to end by reiterating the earlier point that I made on the fact that it's it's not about doing well with one approach or the other. It's about doing well across the board and thinking about public engagement as um, encompassing communication, collaboration and engagement around interventions in a very ongoing and sustained way. It, thanks. And, and um, interesting point about the messengers that you raised within the communications part. And uh, maybe we can touch on that, um, Adam, when we talk about that, because we know councillors um, are not exactly, shall we put it, representative of their communities uh, across the board. So um, something around that, I think, for people to think about. Some places are doing very well on this, but where is it in your three approaches uh, and the interlinking of those that councils aren't necessarily doing as well? Which one or, or part of them are we um, falling short on? And um, how can we do that better as a council? Um, so, so I would say one area where um, councils can do better is just ensuring that they're asking the right questions about what needs to be achieved through a public engagement process on climate change. So if the goal is one directional and aimed at informing and educating the public, then I think it falls very short of the transformative sort of change that we need in order to achieve net zero by 2050. Um, ideally, the goal of engaging the public on climate change has to be a two-way learning process. It has to be around enabling, amplifying and understanding community values and identities and how that affects choices, how that affects risks and costs and priorities of different groups. And it has to come back to councils then thinking about what those learnings about people and communities hold for them on how decisions are made, how resources are allocated, how procurement is thought about and how success is defined overall. So, so I, I would definitely say that would be one of the key areas where, um, where councils can definitely probably do better. Yes, and, and our communities are all very diverse, very different. You'll hear different issues coming up in rural as opposed to urban uh, and different uh, parts of the country. Uh, we'll talk in different ways. And obviously you've spoken about working cross boundaries. Just to finish, um, what would be your top tips for helping councils in their approaches to public engagement on climate change? So top tip would be would be the point I just mentioned, I think. So making sure public engagement around climate change is seen as a bi-directional learning process and making sure the right questions are being asked about what needs to be achieved through that public engagement. Second, um, building a comprehensive public engagement strategy that incorporates and interlinks communication, collaboration, engagement around climate interventions, and moves away from designing and planning siloed, isolated public engagement activities. And within that public engagement strategy, looking to partner, looking to collaborate, looking to support and work, work together with other actors across the ecosystem that are engaging different communities. That would be, that would be my second point. 
my my third would be to ensure that public engagement is a sustained and iterative process with regular feedback from people and communities over the long term so important to keep in mind that people's lived realities their priorities their socioeconomic capacities are constantly changing so there is no recommendation that comes out of a participatory process that can be an end in itself it should be seen as the start to an ongoing, sustained and iterative sort of conversation. And um, finally, um, to my um, to the to the most important point, I think around foregrounding inclusion in every engagement opportunity. It is so important, especially as we build back from COVID-19, that those that are most affected by the decisions that are being made are being reached out to, that all voices are being represented and also heard equally. So thinking outside of usual actors when thinking about messengers, um, knowing that different groups see different actors as legitimate and trustworthy and keeping making sure we keep asking the question who is being best served by the outcomes of this process and how do i make this process more equitable um yeah uh, that would be that would be the most important one thank you um I think you touch on a very key point. All councillors are very used to hearing, you know, the silent majority think one thing, whereas the vocal minority think something else. Uh, and how to make sure that we hear that silent majority as well can be quite a challenge um, for us. And some excellent tips in there for all councils. So we'll move on to uh, Councillor Harrison. Uh, welcome to you. Um, so in Camden, what is your council's experience in Camden? We heard at the start that you were the first to hold um, a citizens assembly, uh, which um, Chandrima has also mentioned um, in, in Camden on climate change. But how does climate change relate within Camden as a, a London borough? Thanks, Liz, and um, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, I'd say, uh, in Camden, uh, climate change and environmental issues more broadly are um, a huge interest of our residents. They are things that our residents expect us to be uh, taking action on and taking a lead on. Um, and then over the last few years, there's really been an increased interest and political drive at the council to be looking at new ways of um, engaging our residents and looking at participatory um, decision making. So actually, we ran our first citizens assembly uh, not on climate, but um, on our broader strategy uh, a number of years ago. Um, but then the opportunity, you know, following the publication of the IPCC report um, and increased public concern, came about to actually uh, hold a citizens assembly dedicated to the uh, climate emergency. Um, that fitted in well for us for, for a number of reasons. One was there was um, grassroots pressure coming upwards from newly formed XR from uh, local political parties, uh, but also the opportunity really as council to um, uh, run another citizens assembly, but on uh, something kind of, kind of while it's very broad ranging is also uh, specific. It's also very crunchy, if you like, huge, huge numbers of um, potential trade offs uh, that we need to be we wanted to um, have the opportunity to discuss with our residents, with our citizens. Uh, in that forum, so um, so that's that was the origin of our citizens assembly, which we um, held in the summer of 2019, and we, you know, long had uh, as well as our residents being uh, very concerned about the topic. We have um, 
extremely uh, you know uh, knowledgeable uh, and committed residents and citizens in the bar whose whose knowledge and expertise we wanted to draw on as we as we look to the future. Thanks, Adam. Um, and obviously, Camden um, is leading the way in, in many ways um, in this area, um, along with other councils that are doing things. Um, why did you decide? We've heard from um, Chandrima about the three approaches of which, uh, in collaboration, the Institute-led type Citizens' Assembly is one of them. What was your reasoning behind forming this approach towards the climate emergency um, so that you could have that climate focus? Why did you um, go down that route? Uh, partly on the basis we we don't already run one citizens assembly, but it was worth certainly worthwhile from our point of view um, doing that again. But also the the, the assembly model with um, around fifty participants uh, was kind of broad based enough to be able to make sure that we um, had a representative uh, you know cross section from the community, uh, which we were largely able to achieve, um, uh, and it was. Um, really a uh, I think in terms of public communications as well uh, saying that you are holding a citizens assembly uh, is something that there was already some public understanding about so people knew what we, what we meant uh, when we said we were doing it um, but also for those who didn't necessarily it, it, I think it's a sort of understandable phrase um, anyway um, and was um, something that you know enabled our, our communication efforts around that time and since then. Thanks. And we also heard from uh, Chandrima about the messengers, getting the right messengers, but also about the equality of voice being heard. Um, and obviously, Citizens Assembly take a cross section of the population, but by their very nature will be slightly self-selecting in that you, you have to uh, say that you're prepared to do it. We can't force people. It's not jury service. We can't force them to attend. Um, so how did you manage to make sure that those uh, that equity across Camden, which is a, a very diverse borough um, in terms of affluence, race, genders, everything else, how did you try and make sure that that was all heard? Uh, a couple of uh, ways. Uh, we're very fortunate in Camden to have um, some uh, strong institutions such as UCL, um, and we set up an advisory board involving um, UCL, Arup, who are an engineering firm uh, based in the borough. We worked with Involve and the Democratic uh, Society, so we made sure we were drawing on, on some of that institutional knowledge and, and past experience from, uh, from elsewhere. But we're also fortunate in Camden that we have an in-house team, uh, which we call the community researchers, and we've had that team in place for many years and they, they do all sorts of things. They go out and do surveys uh, on questions that we would like to find out um, residents' views on. Uh, they're very experienced. Um, many of them perhaps all live in the borough and we used our, our community researchers to, to actively recruit people. Uh, to, to attend the assembly so that they knew the borough inside out. They had the brief to ensure that this was uh, a, a diverse uh, makeup uh, at the assembly. It actually ended up being uh, slightly overrepresentative of, of the non-white population, uh, but broadly it was among the 50 was um, representative of Camden. I think we actually managed to get somebody from every ward as well. So they really, the community researchers really managed to, uh, which is often a huge point of interest for, for lots of people, um, 
about which ward you're from and so on in council. So um, the community researchers did a did a really great job on that. I would um, actually draw everybody's uh, attention to the evaluation that UCL's uh, evaluation units, I think they're called, um, did for us uh, of the citizens assembly process. It's on the uh, Camden website and uh, it, it looks at the, the process from start to finish. Um, I think it's a really interesting read for those who want to uh, go further. Um, it is Watson also, it does point out uh, the places where, where we could have done better as well. And actually one of the, uh, the points that was made uh, in the feedback when, when UCL um, interviewed the citizens was, uh, you know, while it was recognised that the, the assembly was, was diverse, uh, those delivering some of the information, particularly at, at the beginning, uh, to, to explain the climate crisis and its origins and so on. It was felt that uh, there could have been greater diversity of, of voices there. And, and that's great because um, obviously, um, as we've heard, it's an iterative process and um, the Climate Assembly, Citizens Assembly, needs to be the starting point, not the end point um, of it. Uh, so what were the outcomes? What's worked well for you in Camden as a result of this? Uh, and what would be your next steps? The uh, oh, the outcomes have been pretty pretty diverse, really. It was I mean the whole experience was um, absolutely wonderful, really. It was um, the the citizens were so committed. There was a high high retention rate. Uh, it was it was in the summer. They was getting close to the summer holidays. It, there was some hot evenings where people came along and sat in, in Swiss Cottage Library. Um, and uh, actually, an, another finding was that I think among the citizens themselves, thirty seven out, out of the fifty or so said they were they were they were interested to do more. So there was a there was a, a change among them and they, they could act as, as advocates in the community. The citizens at the end of the assembly made 17 recommendations for the council to take forward. Uh, and we actually then adopted all of those 17 into our climate action plan, uh, which we adopted uh, the year after. So we spent after the summer, we um, we began redrafting our, our, our new climate plans. I should say we're by 2020, we're actually coming to the end of a 10 year um, Carbon plan called Green Action for Change. So, so we were, the, the assembly also coincided with our with our desire to and, and need to update our, our, our climate policies. Um, so the 17 recommendations uh, are now in our climate plan, which we're working away on. There was uh, also the opportunity later that year to declare a uh, climate emergency, which we did after formally as a, a full council. Uh, we did after the assembly in the October. Um, we in Camden, we've begun again as a kind of kind of effort to open up and also uh, make sometimes dry council meetings more interesting. Our full council meetings, which we have seven year, they they call different things in different councils. I think assemblies, some confusingly sometimes. Our full, we now thematize our full council, so one might be on education, but we dedicated this one to uh, to the climate crisis. Uh, some of the citizens came along who participated in the assembly and they fed back and they, they, they had the opportunity to, to speak to the councillors and then to, to see the, the adoption of the, of the uh, climate emergency. Um, but, but alongside that, we've been working away on uh, the, the recommendations from the uh, citizens. So since then, we've now got a really effective process of switching all our street lamps over to LED, which in the last couple of years has saved about 20% in carbon as well as there being a uh, financial saving. We've been really ramping up our work to implement retrofit of our buildings. We, we do own a, lo a large amount of housing and other stock in the borough, but we've also, as well as kind of securing some of that government funding, we're also planning ahead because some of, some of the stock we have is, is challenging and 
the most challenging uh, recommendation from the citizens really was to, to, to switch over all our um, to ensure all our, all our building stock was uh, zero carbon by 2030. Uh, but then we've also now also switched our corporate electricity over to fully green renewables and uh, implemented a sustainable procurement uh, policy um, across the council. We'll green our fleet, which is which is also going going pretty well. So um, really, a question of galvanising the council from top to bottom and uh, and sideways. And I think that combination of political leadership starting well not entirely starting in 2019 but the citizens assembly was a real kind of inflection point to, to show that we mean business the council means business we have to really be taking this seriously now and looking uh, out for every opportunity to to decarbonize our activities in the borough and encourage others to do so Great. So some uh, outcomes already being seen, some reductions in carbon uh, and others in the planning still. It's not cheap or easy to retrofit uh, thousands and thousands of buildings, but in the process working through uh, your councils. So um, obviously you're very pleased with where you've got to at the moment uh, and the next steps that, that you're taking in terms of the outcomes of your citizens assembly. What would be your tips for other councils um, in terms of what they might be able to take away and learn from Camden's experience um, to be able to improve their climate emergency response? I think I would suggest um, you know, also looking at what other models are available. So actually since the, the assembly we've set up a, a citizens um, panel who are 15 citizens who are going to keep keep a kind of longer term view on what we're doing and that's a sort of more more detailed engagement and they're also you know as representative as we could make from 15 people we actually also uh set up what we, what we call think and do so immediately after the assembly but there was a real appetite for some social action some immediate visibility so there was a, a shop in Kentertown in the middle of the borough where all sorts of activities sprang up and people were able to drop in and learn about about retrofit or about plastics and that, that was community-led and that and that is still developing i'd say certainly read the ucl study um, of our assembly uh, it's important to give uh, the citizens time when uh, when when they are deliberating to make sure they have the right information and there was actually a real appetite among them to um, to know what the council was doing uh, in the first place which is uh, something we uh, kind of admitted in the initial setup of the assembly but there is that huge appetite and in a way that goes back to Chandrima's point uh, initial points about communications I think um, which in some ways can be the, the, the hardest to achieve um, and not that the the interventions are also difficult and costly and, and so on as well uh, but councils do so many things there's so many competing messages we're always trying to get out to our residents and uh, we have our own channels and there can be competition with within those I think the poorly away of local media in some parts of the country must also surely be um, a huge challenge as well uh, because you you actually lose lose an effective way of communicating to people in, in a way that, that they would they would hopefully trust and that would reach them because council communications are not always going to do the trick unfortunately um so but I th so that is absolutely right and i think yes i'd certainly recommend every every council now have a have a communication strategy on, on climate because um the the other question to this is it's all getting really serious and we don't actually have that much time so we have to strike that balance between uh, the deliberation and, and collaboration but actually in some areas moving pretty quickly to, to decarbonize what we're doing 
Thank you, Adam. Um, and yes, the interventions are not always easy. And I, I think uh, Chandrima makes a really serious point about the lived experience. Um, and obviously, um, in London, where I am also a counsellor, uh, we have lived experience on both sides of uh, things like low traffic neighbourhoods and cycle lanes, which are um, which are an interesting part to live through, I think is the best way to put it. And finally, Adam, who else has set up a citizens' assembly? So, summer 2019 was an exciting time in lots of ways because uh, there were lots of councils looking at uh, uh, how to do this, how to involve their citizens. And I'm happy to say we just about beat Oxford City Council to have the first citizens' assembly, but they were the first city to, to do it. Um, and uh, you know, I, I know they've done great work as well. And I, I can see, I'm looking forward to going to Oxford actually to see the changes they've made on the street because uh, they're really impressive and, and we'll take a look at. Thank you, Adam. Um, and thank you, Chandrima. Um, that brings this episode to a close. At the beginning of the episode, I asked whether you knew which city was the first to hold a public assembly on the climate crisis. Hopefully you've noted that that was Oxford in 2019, just after Camden. I hope you also know where public engagement on climate change currently falls short and how it can be made more effective. But if not, maybe give this podcast another listen. Thank you for listening today. This episode was presented by myself, Councillor Liz Green, and many thanks to our guest speakers, Chadrima Padmanabhan and Councillor Adam Harrison. This podcast forms part of the LGA Sector Support Programme available to councils to support their work on combating climate change. To learn more about the climate crisis, and the LGA's sector-led support programme, resources and materials will be linked in our show notes. You can also find out a lot more information on the LGA website if you go to the Our Support and Climate Change section, and there you can sign up for our free monthly climate change e-bulletin that contains a lot of details every month. Thank you again for listening, and please do share this podcast with your friends and colleagues, and we look forward to welcoming you again next time.